in our Bill of Rights is the freedom to hear uncensored ideas and opinions, to think your own thoughts, and to say what's on your mind. We couldn't have liberty without it. Now, more than ever, it's good to spout off, to listen, debate, and participate. Here's your host of Spouting Off, commentator, columnist, and all-around rabble-rouser, Karen Cataline. Welcome, everyone, to another Friday. Oh, I love Fridays, not just because it's the end of the week, because I love what I do, but uh, we are headed towards Christmas and New Year's, and yes, a new year. Um, I got a lot of things on my mind. We have a couple of terrific guests in this hour. We're so glad to have you along with us here on Spouting Off. And I've been waxing philosophic once again about uh, the curse of awareness, the curse of awareness of knowing. And I think, unfortunately or fortunately, more and more people are getting this curse of awareness that they know something is going on in the country and they're going to have to either stand up or uh, uh, set a limit or at least take note of it. The question is, those who've had the curse of awareness for a long time, and uh, uh, I count myself among them, have been trying to try to figure out what do we do about it. Um, and when I say a curse of awareness, just to be very specific, to put a fine point on it, what I mean is, is that uh, the propaganda media is becoming, has become quite predictable in gaslighting the public with what's going on. Now, everybody has a different point of view about what they think is going on. But when you see a pattern again and again of the propaganda media parroting the same messages that turn out to be false, and that somehow, somewhere along the lines, they've abandoned their fundamental basic journalistic principles to seek the truth, to report the truth, and let the public decide what they think. They are no longer uh, reporting news. They are making opinion. They are creating opinion. They are directing opinion. Then they went a step further only in the last several years to demonize opposition, to demonize dissent. It's really quite overt now. And many people, including myself, know that when they go out of their way to demonize an opposing point of view, we're talking about a point of view now, it must mean that what they're pushing cannot stand up to scrutiny. It just can't. Case in point here, I think, uh, this latest, this is just as an aside, because I could do an hour just on this alone, and, and I'm not going to, of course, aren't you pleased? <laughs> um, uh, Joe Biden will be signing the bill called the Respect for Marriage Act. And I pulled an article that says what the Respect for Marriage Act does and doesn't do. Now, the left, well, I don't want to go too far down this road, but my question just under the title of this bill, the Respect for Marriage Act. My question is, when have you, when do you remember legislation uh, that is trying to legislate respect for marriage? Was it ever against the law to disrespect the institution of marriage ever in your lifetime, in mine? Can any government legislate respect? Why do they call it the Respect for Marriage Act? Well, because it's purely, unadulteratedly political. The whole bill is political, including the fact that, that now they're adding interracial marriage. They're going to protect 
interracial marriage with the Respect for Marriage Act. They claim, the left, that they're doing this in case the Supreme Court should dare to uh, make it illegal because Clarence Thomas, Thomas said that the law was decided uh, unconstitutionally. And because of that one comment that he made, they're running this bill to, as a stopgap measure, they're saying. But it's very complicated because what they title bills are never really what they are. And so uh, this is part of the gaslighting to claim that people don't respect marriage and that you have to run a bill in case a Supreme Court does something you don't like, you're going to legislate respect for marriage. The whole thing is designed to make and create your opinion that the Supreme Court is unjust and that the Congress is doing something to fix it. They're not, they're doing no such thing. Now, uh, getting back to what I started talking about here, which is I'm on a quest. I have been on a quest for a long time to, to address the personal individual uh, coping mechanisms for dealing with the curse of awareness. What are part of the, uh, uh, the symptoms of the curse of awareness? I guess that was how you'd put it, is that if you uh, brood, fret, and dread what's going on in the world, or in the country, and and really it is going on in the world, the gaslighting of COVID, the gaslighting of information, the suppression of alternative thoughts, opinions, and medical opinions, that and so much more, all, which is what we talk about all the time around here. But if you have the curse of awareness, nine times out of 10, you're probably fretting about it brooding about it and dreading it. <laughs> and I speak for myself. Those are the words I've chosen. Um, and I, I, uh, have an ongoing article, an ongoing, uh, piece that I'm working on really not necessarily for publication, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. The antidote for brooding, fretting, and dreading, otherwise known as BFD. You can consider that an acronym for whatever you want. BFD, brooding, fretting, and dreading. If you're tired of brooding, fretting, and dreading, what are you going to do about it in the new year? There's lots of ugly, nasty predictions that I could talk about, about what many people believe is going to be an escalation in the attacks on our personal liberties, an escalation on big government going crazy, and they've already gone crazy. They do not consider that the constitutional constraints on government apply to them, and that's why they are building more and more and more bills to give them more and more power to rob everyone of their individual freedoms and certainly their personal responsibilities. So here's one simple one, and believe it or not, this does not contradict this doesn't contradict uh, the idea that we cannot give up, that we must fight where we can and stand up because compliance with tyranny only brings more tyranny. But how do we strengthen ourselves, both psychologically, physically, and all the rest? And these are just a couple of ideas. Frankly, before I give you a few of mine, I would love to hear from you. Uh, whether or not we're going to be taking a little bit of time off during the holidays. So you'll be getting some of the encore presentations of spouting off until the first of the year, giving you a heads up on that. But I hope that you'll tune in. Um, and whether or not I'm on the air or not, you can write me at Karen at KarenCataline.com. Karen at KarenCataline.com. Now, one of the things that I think is really amazingly simple is something that alcoholics use. It's called the serenity prayer. 
Well, before I even do the serenity prayer, you have to think about what's in your present. You have to be present because if you're spending a lot of time fearful and dreading and and uh, brooding about what might be in the future, nevertheless, never mind the fact that what you may be afraid of, uh, you've you've seen you weren't as crazy as people thought you were because a lot of those things happened. If you were afraid, for example, that the government wasn't telling you the truth about the efficacy of masks and lockdowns and uh, uh, untested experimental mRNA shots, uh, you found out that sadly your concerns turned out to be true. So that can cause people to be what I call brooding, fretting, and dreading. So the serenity prayer goes like this. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, I used to think that was awfully, you know, piddly and a a platitude of a prayer. But guess what? The older you get, the more you find that this is a profound prayer with the primary, uh, the primary thing is the wisdom to know the difference. The holidays are a marvelous time to uh, make these kinds of prayers and to do a little bit of personal Um, uh, soul searching as to how you can strengthen yourself, get, get closer to God as you perceive God to be. And, and this is not a religious show and I'm not a pastor or a rabbi, but count your blessings. Uh, Because only when you count your blessings, can you be strong enough to recognize the road ahead. Um, I do hope that there will be much greater civil disobedience to unjust laws. As Mohandas K. Gandhi Gandhi always said, is that disobedience to unjust laws is a duty. That's what he said. Anyway, that's some of what I'll be doing along with a little bit of travel. And uh, I share with you that so that you can maybe write me at Karen at KarenCataline.com and let me know the kinds of things that are on your mind as to how to strengthen yourself in the coming year. We will be back with our very first guest. Stay tuned. You're listening to Spouting Off. I'm Karen Cataline. Don't go away. You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of MyPillow. Thanks to your support, you've helped make MyPillow become one of the fastest growing companies in America. Over the last 12 years, you've helped MyPillow create thousands of jobs right here in the USA. Every MyPillow is made with passion here in my home state of Minnesota to ensure you get the best sleep of your life. One of the things that I really like about MyPillow is the support. It gives my neck a little hug. I've never slept better in my life. What's better than a great night's sleep? Call or go online to take advantage of my best offer ever. For a limited time, when you use your promo code, you can get premium my pillows regularly $69.98, now only $29.98. With our 60-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. Sleep well, America! Call 1-800-867-0416 and use the promo code RAM, R-A-M. That's 1-800-867-0416 and use the promo code RAM. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Not too long ago, it felt good to withdraw your cash from the bank, didn't it? For a vacation or a new car. But today, withdrawing your own cash has become risky. Pat Boone here for Swiss America. According to the Secret War in Swiss America White Paper, I learned that all banks are now required to spy on you and me for the government and then report any financial behavior deemed suspicious or unusual. You must read The Secret War. It's free. Thanks, Pat. Call now, toll-free, 866-883-2741. That's 866-883-2741. Truth is, I believe the government's new war against cash is really a war against us all. But the secret is now out. 
So please, get and read The Secret War. Call now, toll free, 866-8832-741. That's 866-8832-741. Spouting Off with Karen Cataline will return in a moment. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Karen Cataline puts the Judeo in Judeo-Christian. Now back to Spouting Off. Welcome back, everyone, to Spouting Off, and we are marching towards a new year. Yes, we are. Are. It is a pleasure to have you along. And uh, as you know, in the midterms, we had an obsession, I tell you, an obsession with abortion. Never have I seen such aggressive celebration of abortion. Uh, long time, uh, we, we have come a long way in a very unfortunate way from the Democrats saying they wanted abortion to be rare and safe to let's celebrate our abortions. So they have escalated the argument thinking that they were going to win over that. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure they did. Here to talk about his point of view, and he is a spokesperson for the human life protection movement, is Mark Mink. Uh, and the Human Life Protection Amendment is a grassroots citizens initiative to amend the Florida Constitution to recognize the right to life of the pre-born and the most victimized and vulnerable people uh, group in the state of Florida. They may just find a good deal of support there in a growingly conservative state of Florida. Mark Mink, welcome to Spouting Off. Good to have you on the show. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much. It's an honor. I appreciate the opportunity to share with your listeners. Well, it is good to have you. Tell us about the Human Life Protection Amendment, and then we'll talk a little more about how the left has targeted you to harm and destroy this amendment, because <laughs> that's what they do. So go ahead well, and tell I, us what I, you're doing. I appreciate that. Um, so the Human Life Protection Amendment, and you framed it perfectly uh, in your introduction, is a citizen initiative to place a proposed amendment on the 2024 ballot. Essentially, we want to give Florida voters the opportunity to approve our proposed amendment, which would simply recognize the God-given right to life of the preborn individual. Because what's happening in Florida, Karen, is that our state constitution, all 98 pages of it, which was ratified in 1968 and has been amended 144 times since, doesn't speak specifically to the protection of preborn human life. And so we feel like it's not so much what's in our constitution that's a problem, it's what's missing from it. And so our proposal is to add a new section to the Constitution of Florida under Article One, which is where the Declaration of Rights is listed, and this new section would simply uh, recognize that God-given right to life. It would basically provide constitutional protection for preborn life in our state. Hmm. That is uh, great, and there's a lot of other states that have taken steps like this, aren't there? Maybe they're slightly different, but they're doing similar things in other states that 
maybe thought that abortion and the federal uh, Roe v. Wade law, which was repealed, uh, was overstep. Am I right? Well, you're correct in that many other states have been taking approaches. I, I will differentiate uh, our proposed amendment from the others in that ours is citizen initiated, which means that we have to secure a required number of petitions to qualify for ballot placement. And what we've mostly been seeing lately are legislatively placed amendments. And the distinction is pretty important in that when a state legislature decides that they want to place an initiative before voters, a couple of things. First of all, the language that ends up being presented to the voters has had to go through the legislative process. So it's had to go through both chambers, their, their respective House and Senate, and all the committees and all the proposed amendments. So oftentimes what ends up being presented to voters uh, can be either confusing or very um, uh, legalese-looking in the way that it's presented because it's gone through kind of the sausage grinder of the legislative process. Whereas mm. with ours being a citizen initiative, we were able to uh, draft the language with uh, our advisory group, but without it having to go through legislative approval. And so we believe that the approach that we're using is a very pure approach in that it's simply recognizing this God-given right to life. This right to life is not granted by government. It's not granted by a governor or a state house or a state senate. It's, it's a God-given right, and the Constitution just needs to recognize it and respect it. And so many of these other initiatives in other states were worded in such a way that they were saying that there was no constitutional right to abortion or no taxpayer funding of abortion. In many of the states, the language was such that a voter uh, was voting yes to say no, and that sometimes confused them. They're saying, okay, I'll, let's see, so I need to vote yes so that we're saying no right to abortion. And oftentimes mm. that can be used by the opponents of the initiative to confuse voters. So uh, with all those things in mind, uh, we do believe that ours is a, a different approach and a, an approach that we are looking forward to getting in front of Florida voters. Well, um, uh, thanks for that clear explanation. I've got to ask you a few of the stock questions because the left has been so loud and noisy in claiming they're victims because some states would like to put greater restrictions on abortions. So I got to ask you a couple of the questions that they would be asking or saying. If this were to pass, would it make all abortion illegal? Would it make it uh, possible for a woman to have an abortion uh, in the state of Florida who was uh, a victim of rape or incest? Are there restrictions on this? Or how would it play out in practice? Yeah, great question. That's a question I know that's on, on many people's minds. Uh, when someone is looking on our website, uh, and, and they'll see two documents uh, available, and, and on the homepage of the website, they'll see two different uh, forms of text. One is what's considered the ballot summary, and then the other is the full proposed text. So I'll give you a little background, and then I'll circle around to answering that. So the in in the state of florida any group that's trying to propose an amendment uh to the florida constitution has to draft the full text of the proposed amendment and that is what would actually go into the constitution as a new section uh, in our case an entirely new section uh if florida voters approve it and but the full text is in many cases with an initiative is too lengthy to put on a ballot so in the state of florida we summarize it into a ballot summary that has to be 75 words or less. So what I'm doing now is I'm actually referring to the full text. And I know you don't have that in front of you. And in the interest of time, I'm not going to read the full text. But it's broken down basically into uh, five subsections. One deals with the right to life of the preborn. The second deals with the definition of a preborn individual. Uh, it then deals with a life of the mother situation, and I can address that in a moment. Uh, it, it provides for an effective date. But then the final subsection deals with implementation. And I want to read that to you. It's brief. It's, it's just one sentence. It says, upon the effective date of this section, all laws, judicial precedents, and acts contrary 
to this section shall be null, void, and deemed repealed to the extent of any conflict with this section. So what that means, essentially, Karen, is that if Florida voters approve the Human Life Protection Amendment, then they will basically be stating that it's their will that the God-given right to life of the preborn is recognized as a constitutional right, and therefore uh, any legislation, any judicial precedent that's in conflict with that would be considered unconstitutional. So essentially, it would make it unconstitutional to take the life of a preborn individual in our state. Now, what does that do in terms of existing legislation? Well, if there's a law in place, so for example, right now, there is a uh, bill that was signed. Could you cut to the chase, if you wouldn't mind, as to how this would affect women who wanted to have an abortion or people that disagree with um, or or uh, with your particular point of view, how would that play out in practice for them? Would they simply, even at six weeks or whatever, and I don't mean to uh, telegraph any particular opinion, I just want to make it clear as to what this would or wouldn't do, um, uh, would they need to leave the state in order to have a, an early abortion like six weeks or what would this include or not include? Yeah, here's the cut to the chase answer. It would be unconstitutional yeah. to kill your preborn baby in Florida at oh. any stage of development. Okay. So if, if, right. a, if a woman desired to take the life of her preborn child for whatever reason, she'd need to go somewhere else where it was not unconstitutional or where it was considered legal. Mm-hmm. And what sort of support are you finding for this particular bill? Do you think it will pass and will, uh, and what sort of legislative uh, in, uh, acts have to happen in the legislature in order for it to, to be made law? Yeah, another good question. And this is a point that's often confusing, and I'm glad you brought it up. It's actually uh, not a bill. It's actually a proposed amendment. So the differentiation is that it doesn't have to go through any legislative process. Uh, so in Florida, and I know different states may handle this in different ways, but in, in the state of Florida, when a proposed amendment qualifies for ballot placements, uh, then it is entirely up to the registered voters that vote in that election to to either approve it or reject it. So if the required percentage of Florida voters approve it, it goes into the Constitution and it completely bypasses the legislative process. So it doesn't have anything to do with the governor, the state house, the state senate. They they have a role in determining what the rules are surrounding this, some of the uh, thresholds and guidelines surrounding the process, but they're not involved in any direct way with the implementation of it. So if Florida voters approve it, it becomes a constitutional provision. Now the Florida legislature can pass whatever they want, but then in the future, uh, if it was in conflict with this new section in the constitution, it would be considered unconstitutional if it was in conflict with it. And then someone could make that case and it would go into the Florida courts to, for the courts to decide. But uh, our objective is to make it unconstitutional in the state to take the life of a preborn individual. Okay. And, and, and there are no exceptions for that at all, right? None, zip, nada, right? Uh, well, let me, let me speak to that. We say no exceptions. Uh, tr traditionally, when you're looking at the abortion issue, uh, you'll hear kind of the traditional three. There's the rape, incest, and the life of the mother. Uh, our amendment, our proposed amendment, does not make any distinction for the manner of conception. So there is not a rape or incest exception in our proposed amendment. Uh, in regards to the life of a mother, that's dealt with in the third subsection that is uh, addresses the unintentional death of a preborn individual not being construed as a violation of the section. And it reads like this. It's brief. It says the undertaking of life, it says the unintentional death of a preborn individual shall not be construed to violate this section when resulting from the undertaking of life-saving procedures to save the life of the mother when accompanied by reasonable steps to save the life of the preborn individual or a spontaneous miscarriage or a spontaneous fetal demise. 
so the objective there is that if a, a pregnant woman uh, finds herself in a life-threatening situation and is seeking medical care, uh, we we hope that both the pregnant mother and the preborn baby survive. Uh, and so there's no violation of this amendment or this constitutional provision if the doctor is attempting to save both lives in the process. Right. We only have a couple minutes. It's a fascinating thing. I alluded to the fact that um, the very radical left that celebrates abortion, regardless of whether you agree or disagree with Mark and this particular amendment, uh, they lose their cookies when anybody tries to make restrictions on abortion. What sort of pushback are you getting now or that you expect? Uh, we're not really getting any pushback at this point. And the reason I say that is um, I think that those who have that worldview and that perspective are probably patiently waiting on the sidelines to see how far we get through the process. You know, we live in a big state. We have a big threshold we have to hit. And so I think there's probably a trigger point where when we reach a certain number of petitions, that engagement will take place. More than likely, they'll wait to see if we qualify. And if we do, that's uh, when they begin their frontal attack, would be my guess. Mm. There's there's kind of an efficiency in that camp. They don't like to waste their resources. Uh, so, mm. you know, why spend money? They don't have to. But I expect it's coming. But that's just oh, part of the course. Yeah. One of the things that bothers me so much is when they mischaracterize and they they miss they they uh, uh, fear monger about Roe v. Wade being repealed. And there are still many, many people who believe that Roe v. Wade made abortion illegal all across the country, that it did not revert it back to the states so that women uh, could travel. And and they, they twisted the idea to mean that <laughs> women who have restrictions on having an abortion are now the victims. Um, this happens all the time in political strategy. Uh, we only have a couple seconds left, 20 seconds or so. Mark Mink, M-I-N-C-K, tell everybody how they can find you, follow you, and if they'd like to support your work. They can go to humanlifefl.com, humanlifeflforflorida.com, and help us to qualify for ballot placement so that we will no longer be the third leading state for abortion death in the country behind California and New York. We have to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. And this is our we opportunity. Gotta, we got to run. We got six seconds. We'll be right back. Thank you for your time. After this, don't go away. You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Gadolin. I was asking God through prayer, seeking a good news source. I believe he showed me the Epic Times. I delivered the mail and came across an issue. The front page intrigued me and I subscribed. Now I cut out articles and give them to friends and family. I leave old issues at the library and around my community. We read it to our kids and love the positive messages in each article. So why do I think everyone should read the Epic Times? Because they're bringing back traditional values to this great country. Are you tired of the same old snacks? Looking for something a little healthier than that bag of chips or candy bar? Even your average bag of trail mix these days is little more than peanuts, raisins, and candy-coated chocolate. Not very healthy, is it? Allow me to introduce you to White Mountain Munchies. Made from 100% all-natural ingredients, White Mountain Munchies combines unique flavors with nutritional value that will tingle your taste buds and strengthen and sustain your overall health and wellness. Eating good never tasted so good. From Maggie's Maple Madness to Hannah's Heavenly Harvest, Grayson's Getaway Goodies, and our limited edition Christmas blend, Jacoby's Jolly Jumble, White Mountain Munchies offers nutritious and delicious snacks that the whole family is sure to love. Pick yours up now through our easy-to-use online store at whitemountainmunchies.com. White Mountain Munchies, non-GMO when you're on the go. 
Spouting Off with Karen Cataline will return in a moment. Hi, it's Karen Cataline. It's been almost a decade since I wrote Fatlash Food Police in the Fear of Thin. It's about my early experiences in child beauty pageants and being put on extreme diets. Remember when that was shocking? Sadly, that seems like child's play compared to what we are watching today when politicians and woke corporations are actually advocating for the sexualization of children. Everyone's children. We're watching a frontal attack on childhood innocence. This is one story, my story. Fat Lash illustrates and explains why good boundaries are essential for kids to grow up healthy. They need their parents to set them, not the government. Get Fat Lash today. It's available in paperback or ebook at Amazon or at my website, KarenCataline.com. Karen Cataline puts the Judeo in Judeo Christian. Now back to Spouting Off. Welcome back, everyone, to Spouting Off. I'm Karen Cataline. I always get such a kick out of the fact that the bumper uh, intro that just ends up getting played seems relevant to the next guest. <laughs> it's just, it's probably a coincidence. It said Karen puts the Judeo in Judeo-Christian. And here to talk to us, about anti-Semitism and so much more is Dan Pollack, Director of Government Relations for the Zionist Organization of America, otherwise known as ZOA. This puts the radical left's hair on fire, an organization that is Zionist. Oh no, oh no. The oldest pro-Israel organization in the U.S., and Dan educates members of Congress, their staffs, and other government officials on the relationship between the U.S. and Israel, as well as on policy issues relating to the Middle East and the Jewish people. Uh, Mr. Pollack served as a submarine officer in the U.S. Navy. Thank you for your service and pursued a 25-year career in the information technology industry. He has an M.S. in computer science from NJIT and a B.S. in math and statistics from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Welcome, Dan Pollack, to Spouting Off and Happy Hanukkah. Thank you so much, Karen. It's a pleasure to be here. I also got a kick out of the, putting the Judeo in the Judeo-Christian. <laughs> Judeo and Judeo-Christian. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas yes, to been, everyone. I've been using that for a long time because we hear about Judeo-Christian, but we don't often hear about the Judeo part. But anyway, um, I am proud and pleased that Jews and Christians, many of them stand together for liberty and many Christians stand for the right of Israel to merely exist. What's been going on right now, Dan Pollack, has been an awful lot of demagoguery about anti-Semitism from people who have not been able to address the Jew haters in their own ranks. Talk to us about that, if you would, please. Well, it's absolutely correct. Uh, the latest example is the White House held a summit on anti-Semitism this past week. And it's a good idea as far as it goes. The only problem is they only invited people who are like-minded. They purposely excluded anybody who's been calling out anti-Semitism from the left. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of it is coming from. Our organization Conspicuous is- Conspicuous by its absence, right? No yes, criticism, just criticism of their opponents. Hmm, where have we Unfortunately, seen that Unfortunately, so our organization, yeah. we criticize anti-Semites on the left and the right. And that's really the only way to do it. And oh, by the way, we really appreciate Christian Zionists. The reason America is pro-Israel is because of Christian Zionists, not because of a tiny minority of Jews who, mm -hmm. who can barely, uh, even, even amongst the minority, few enough of them even will speak up against anti-Semitism, I'm afraid. Yes. Well, and no matter what the issue and the more tyrannical the government, the more disturbing are the politics, 
it seems as if this tiny group of people of which you and I are a part always seem to be in the thick of the discussion. I, as, as a Jewish American, look at the left, currently the Biden administration, the presidential potted plant, and I watch the way that they can ignore Jew hatred of the most vicious variety. Somewhere I have lists of, of the things that the left has ignored, and I agree with you. You call it out wherever you find it. It doesn't matter. Uh, and yet they smear Donald Trump for being, you know, as being an anti-Semite for having a dinner with someone. So are you guilty by association because you talked to somebody? That's what they would like people to believe after Donald Trump put the embassy in Israel, the U.S. embassy in Jerusalem, a promise that Democrat, uh, that Democrats and Republicans alike had made and never honored. So your Quite thoughts right. about the very latest things that have been going on to demagogue the issue and use Jews as like a, what, a political football? The, the latest example is, is truly outrageous. They had nominated back in May a woman by the name of Elizabeth Frawley Bagley to be ambassador to Brazil. During the hearings, it came out that she said in 1998 that the Dens are themselves falling prey to, quote, stupid pro-Israel Jewish factions. And she said there's always uh, Jewish lobby influence because of all the money that they have. This is the person, this is a direct quote from her. She didn't even deny she said it. Two Democratic senators called her out during the hearings for saying it, and yet still voted to make her the ambassador to Brazil this past Wednesday. And a majority of the Senate confirmed her. She will be starting her term as ambassador to Brazil. She is a truly unbelievable scenario. If you placed any other ethnic group in that type of open uh, disdain that she expressed as an adult, uh, there's no way that the nomination would not have been withdrawn. And yet she was just confirmed. Yeah. And we see such selective outrage about these things, right? Uh, racism itself, bigotry itself, is used as a political football. And uh, in fact, if you point the finger at somebody else, it gives you permission to be the racist you're accusing everyone else of. So it's pretty hard to, gosh, uh, 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 drill down and, and figure out what's really going on here. Uh, what is ZOA doing? Uh, have they done or can they or will they do anything about this latest ambassador to Brazil? We've been actively trying to contact every Democratic senator we have a relationship with. That's now a done deal. She's now been confirmed as of Wednesday. But we're doing quite a bit. We have a, a web page. Everybody uh, can go to www.zoa.org. And we have featured at the very top, you'll see a click, and you can go to the Biden's Appointment Watch, where we have more than a dozen officials of the Biden administration who have either anti-Semitic or anti-Israel positions in the past that are serving or nominated for offices within the Biden administration. I will tell you, there's, there's two kinds of people that the Biden administration that are problematic. We have the anti-Semites and the anti-Israel people. And there's something to be said about that, which is that all the anti-Semites are actually anti-Israel also. And most of the anti-Israel people are also anti-Semites. It's a matter of proving that sometimes. And some of them, the anti-Israel people, are also Jewish, which is particularly embarrassing to us. The response of the American Jewish community uh, at policing its own is, is just abysmal, and ZOA is proud to be calling that out. But we have all these people, and we have the specifics of what each one said, and at the time they were being nominated, or some of them are for positions that don't require confirmation, we've called out their quotes, and anybody can go and look them up. But I wanted to talk about a couple of them. In preparing Please. for this interview, there are so many that you almost have to be selective at which ones you're going to call attention to. It's that bad. Hmm. 
Well, give us a couple of examples. We have the time. Go right ahead. Please. I'm, I'm so pleased to do that. First one I wanted oh. to mention is uh, it, it's almost incredible that the person that they gave in the State Department to be the special envoy to the Palestinians is a guy named Hadi Amar, A-M-R. And not only was he appointed to the State Department at the beginning of the term, they recently upgraded his position so that he's like a virtual ambassador even though we don't have any recognition of the Palestinian Authority as a state, he functions that way. In the old days, under President Trump, you know, when he moved the embassy to Jerusalem, he also made it so that there used to be a consulate in Jerusalem that would provide consulate services to Arab Americans, because our embassy was in Tel Aviv. Now, the Biden administration says they're going to reopen a consulate in Jerusalem even though that would be the only place in the world where we have a separate consulate in the city where we have our embassy and the only place in the world where some ethnic or religious minority have their own diplomatic mission to. So it's really quite bizarre. But this person that they selected for that office, here's his quote. He says that he's been inspired by the Palestinian intifada. Now, if anybody doesn't know what that is, that's the Arabic world for the rebellion that they are engaged in over the previous few years. During the course of the Intifada, more than 10,000 Jews were injured or murdered, and he is inspired by it. And that's the kind of person that they picked for that role. He has a long history of supporting the BDS movement, the boycott, divestment. Explain for everyone what the BDS movement is, because maybe our listeners may not know. Exactly. I I, I always make that error, because to me, it's an everyday thing. So this, when the people yeah. say BDS, they're taking, they're talking about econ, waging economic warfare on the Jewish people. In every country, other country in the world, there's a dispute. Say there's a trade dispute we have with Japan. No one would think of uh, of making a uh, boycotting every product that Japan produces. Nobody would think of the idea of checking to see what the ethnic origin is of anything that passes through Japan, but that's what people do with Israel. Anything that comes from a Jewish source inside the land of Israel or in Judea or Samaria, what people wrongly call the West Bank, they attempt to boycott the product. And if there's something made by a non-Jew in the next town over, that can be bought, but anything made by a Jew, then it has to be boycotted. And Wait a is, second, uh, just just so I... Just so we put a fine point on it, by the same people that lecture us about racism and bigotry, that sounds pretty racist and bigoted, doesn't it? It <laughs> is exactly that, and that's what VOA yeah. says. But they uh-huh. uh, they actually think that, uh, uh, first of all, they, they deny that the Jewish people are even an, are even a a group of uh, with its own ethnic identity. They they often claim that we're simply a religion. And therefore, they're only being, quote, anti-Zionist, unquote. But yes, they are actively engaging. And it's actually against American law. As you said, it's against American law to um, overtly racially discriminate. But even worse, any American corporation, we have explicit laws that prevent American corporations from cooperating with the, the Arab boycott of Israel that goes back to its founding. But they do this. And the U.N. unfortunately supports it. And the amazing thing is that there are major people in the Democratic Party who also support it, as well as members of Congress. Can you name names? Uh, Sure. Because we know that the U.N. is filled with Jew-hating countries that support this kind of thing. But talk about the people in our own government. I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat who support this. The vast majority of the problematic people uh, unfortunately, are, are Democrats. It used to be a generation ago that the Democratic Party was largely supportive of Israel. And, and frankly, there were some old-fashioned bigots in the Republican Party, if you remember maybe my childhood. I'm not sure how far back you go. But that's mm-hmm. just not the case now. In the Republican no. Party, it's you're hard-pressed to find anyone who is not actively pro-Israel. ZOA is scrupulously nonpartisan. We're not pushing either mm-hmm. party. But right. it is just a fact that you can hardly find anyone who is not enthusiastically pro-Israel in the Republican Party. In the Democratic Party, there used to be, you've heard of the squad, the original four members. Of course. In, uh, 
2019, they, AOC and Ilan Omar and Talib and um, from uh, Massachusetts, uh, uh, having a problem with her name, but she's close to you, so you should have the, the uh, woman who <laughs> shaved her head. Presley, yeah. Presley, Congresswoman Presley. Ayanna Presley. Yes. So yeah. those were the original squad. What people may not know is that in the 2020 election, two more members were added. Janelle Bowman from New York and from St. Louis, um, uh, Corey Bush. Unfortunately, in this recent election, four more members were added. There's going to be a total of 10 members in the squad now. So these people hmm. support everything you can think of that's anti-Israel. They also happen to be anti-American. Oh, by the way. So you can find the uh, correlation. People who hate Israel also tend to hate America. It's kind of a weird thing. And people who love Israel... I, now I'm very glad that you mentioned that because you can find that as almost a rule. Uh, the radical Islamists always called Israel the little Satan and America the big Satan. And they exactly seem to right. have taken taken that taken that on uh it's almost almost certain that you'll find that and just to I, I never thought i'd you know i don't speak for christians but christians say that if wherever there is overt and growing jew hatred we are indeed the canaries in the coal mine that hatred and hostility towards the greater population is standing in the wings I think that historically, anyone who's into history, look at the way a country has treated its Jews over time, both in the Middle Ages and up through the modern times. It's always a sign of a, a deep sickness in a society when they scapegoat Jews. But right well, now especially we have that problem. the collectivism, you know, you have yeah. to be a collectivist in order to lump everybody together. We know it's wrong when you do it. It's not illegal to be ignorant, but we know it's wrong when you do it uh, with black people and lump them all together as if they all have the same personality. But somehow Jew hatred and other forms of hatred, even hatred of, of uh, conservatives, it's perfectly OK to lump them all together and to be as bigoted as can be. Sorry. Well, the very worst case in. is Ilan Omar, the, the congresswoman from yeah. Minnesota. I right hate to do this, but I have oh. to interrupt you and have everyone tell everybody where they can find the ZOA so they can learn more because we got to wrap up the show. Understood. www.zoa.org. Really appreciate the time. That's thank it. you. Dan Pollock, thank you so much. We'll have to have you back on another program soon. That about does it for this edition of Spouting Off. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and uh, I hope that you recharge your batteries. We'll have lots of good repeat shows for the next week or two. Don't miss them. Thanks to everyone who makes our show possible, and we'll see you in the new year.